um, inner rings. Remember that when we looked at the 12 disciples, they're broken down into three categories of four. Um, for those in Owen County, four times three equals 12. So I'll just save you the trouble doing the math. Uh, you're welcome. Um, that's, that's, that's what I'm here for. Um, they're, they're back here trying to do math like that debate last night. I mean, they put numbers together I didn't think existed, right? And I studied Greek, and they still did not exist, some of those numbers. Um, I mean, we're back here doing, doing this. Anyways, uh, so uh, Andrew is uh, the last of that first group. And so I think what we'll do is uh, we've, we've dedicated a week to each of these four. We know the most, for the most part, of, of these four. And then we know less and less with, with the other two groups. And so um, I think what we'll try to do, um, and I'm not going to make promises, so just call me a uh, presidential uh, uh, candidate. Um, um, and uh, we'll probably look at two per week. Uh, but whenever we get to Matthew, I, I, I don't I don't. That may be next week. So I don't know. I don't want to make you a promise. Um, but uh, please vote for me anyways. Um, so we're going to start in John chapter 2 with, with Andrew. Um, John chapter 1, I'm sorry, uh, where he shows up there. Let's begin with some... Uh, uh, by the way, I love this, this type of art. Uh, so we'll probably put these up here every week. I, I do. If, if I were an actual artist... Um, um, I think I would do some some of the old Renaissance art. I, I really do like this. It's sort of stained glass style. You don't have to like it. I mean, what does it matter? Um, you can write if you want to. So this is some basic information. One part of the inner four. Um, so we, we've talked about that. Uh, now, that inner four is important. We talk a lot about the inner three, but uh, he does show up as, as an inner four. Here are just two examples. We've looked at these before, so I don't want to repeat it. Um, but we'll see that, yes, at times there is an inner three. Here's three instances of the inner three, Peter, James, and John, uh, that Jesus would take the transfiguration and stuff like that. But there was also Andrew was part of it. I mean, he was, he was the, the fourth wheel. And, and sometimes Jesus wanted a tricycle. I don't know if that works or not, but it entertained me, right? And so he was, he was you know, inside and outside all at the same time. Uh, maybe that, that, that reminds you of middle school. I don't know uh, what your, your childhood was like. But he was at least part of the inner four. And these seem to be the primary leaders of the 12. And I think some of the examples that, that we'll give here of Andrew will demonstrate that. Uh, he is the brother of Simon Peter. Um, and Andrew is often said to be Peter's brother. Peter is never said to be Andrew's brother. And one of the things we get from that it is likely that Peter is the older brother. He certainly acts like it. Right. Um, many of you all know that I had a speech impediment whenever I was a kid. I, I did speech classes, all that sort of stuff. That's why you usually can't get me to um, stop talking on a Sunday or Wednesday. Um, I got a lot of makeup to do. But my parents always said part of the reason I didn't learn to really speak well um, was because of my brother and sister, my older brother and sister. So if we were at the babysitters, right, and the babysitters say, little boy, what do you want for lunch? And my brother would say, oh, Peter Burns, Sam, she'd be fine with that. My sister would say, get him Kool-Aid, he'll be fine with that. And I didn't say a word, right? They did all the talking for me. Well, that's how I like to imagine this relationship. Probably not true, right? But, but it's the way I like to imagine it. Peter does all the talking, even when he shouldn't. And Andrew is, is much more of a, a background sort of, sort of character. Um, this also means that, that Andrew's father is a guy named Jonah. Now, I point that out because I didn't think about this until I was reading in one of the books today. Um, Peter and Andrew and their father Jonah are fishermen. We've talked about that, 
um, that the Zebedees probably had a, uh, a good-sized fishing business going on, and Peter and Andrew were probably part of that or associated with it or whatever. Um, now think about it. You are a guy named Jonah. Of course, Jonah is from Galilee um, and near that area of, 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 of where uh, and Capernaum, where Andrew and Peter are from. And so your name is Jonah and you fish. I'm going to let you figure out the rest of it. Right? I just found that fascinating. That is not going to change your life. Um, but it entertained me more than it probably should have. Right? And after that, I thought it's, it's time for lunch. It is time for lunch whenever you discover that. It's just one of those, those moments. Thirdly, he's only mentioned 12 times in the New Testament. You're not going to find him in the epistles. I don't think outside of the list he's, he's mentioned in the book of Acts. Um, and of the four of this 12, he's in a list, right? And we just looked at a few, right? There's, there's a few, right? Or there's two right, of, of those lists. Um, but uh, he's, he's not a prominent character. Uh, like Peter or some of the others, didn't write a letter or anything like that. His name means man. I mean, just pause and just appreciate that. I mean, I don't know if any of you all really appreciate just how hilarious that is. I mean, sort of remember we, we in Genesis 4, right, Cain's born. And you remember, remember we, we joked at what Eve said? Behold, I've begotten a man, right? You know, and she, 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 she recorded it and put it on YouTube before signing the birth certificate, right? And, and you're like, no mother talks like that. So too, the mother named their kid man. I mean, that should offend you. I mean, that's just awful. Uh, you can't make that decision for that, for that, that Z child. I mean... It shouldn't get to decide that. But, but more seriously, the idea of man is a Greek word, um, um, which is interesting of itself, that, that we would expect Andrew to have a Jewish name, an Aramaic name, a, a Hebrew name, like Simon. Simon, of course, comes from way back in Jewish uh, tradition. There's a lot of Simon, Simon Maccabeus being a prominent one from that area. Andrew is a Greek name means man. And, in, and from that word, it means more than just a dude. It carries with the idea of manliness or really courage. And, and in that context, it's, it's a decent name. But uh, next time you meet someone named Andrew, you just, you keep that in your pocket and you probably shouldn't let that out. Um, but we should notice that Andrew is mostly a background character. He doesn't hog or need the spotlight light, light, like Peter does. Like, like, you may have noticed that some people need to be front and center. They're very annoying. Um, but at the same time, we need people like that who get the ball rolling. Um, but then there are those who prefer the, the, the backdrop, who don't want to be seen, don't want to be recognized. But without them, um, the, the train won't go down the tracks. Right? You really need them to help everything sort of, sort of move and, and operate. So, so if, if it's helpful, think of Peter as, as the, the dominant leader you know, uh, who, who's going to open his mouth even when he shouldn't. Uh, people are going to follow him. He's, he's, a, he's, he's, he's a, a charismatic sort of figure. And then there's his brother Andrew who, who doesn't want to be near a microphone or a camera, but he is just as effective as Peter in his unique way. And I suspect some of y'all are like that. And one of the ways I've learned you can tell that is whether or not they want to pray publicly, right? If you ever know, there's some who like, 
Yeah, what do I care what people think about me? I'll pray right now, right? There's some who say, no, I'm uncomfortable with that. Um, and uh, uh, my, my home pastor used to always tell a story. He, he had a, a great intimate moment with his new family and everything. And that night at church or morning church, or whatever, he, he called on the guy to close out in prayer. And the guy stood up, said no, and he sat back down. And, and, and my pastor was like, uh, this never happened before. I mean, even if people don't want to pray, they'll, they'll make it up or they get someone else to do it, right? So, so my pastor just prayed and then ran to, to the back or wherever he was going, right? Um, I've, I've actually sort of seen that sort of personally happen before. Uh, someone did that to me. I said, okay, you can do it over here, <laughs> right? Well, that, that's Andrew, just, just doesn't want to do that. Didn't write an epistle, not mentioned an Acts outside of a little list. And he's, he's not really mentioned much in the early church records. Let's look at John chapter 1. And we'll look at verse 35 to, to 42, because this really sets the tone to, uh, with, with Andrew. It says, The next day again John was standing with two of his disciples. Now, just pause there. We're speaking of John the Baptist. So this context is important. So in chapter 1, we, we see Jesus' logos. We get that in the first verse. In the beginning was the word, that is logos. Jesus is the lamb. John will say, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is light. Um, there's another one. Light, lamb, logos. Life. He's life. Yeah. So there's your four L's. You're welcome. Uh, I got a seminary degree that makes me alliterate everything. Um, uh, so here's John, the, 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 the baptizer, the son of the Baptist. Uh, two of his disciples standing with him. He looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God, there it is. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. That gives you an idea of the audience of, of this epistle. Where are you saying? Where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was standing. They stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Uh, that, that's, I think, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. There, there it is. He's, he's, a, he's identified with association with Peter. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Again, he's writing not to a Jewish audience because he translates his words. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, or Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, it doesn't look like there's a whole lot going on here, does there? Uh, Jesus is out there minding his own business. There's his cousin and says, Hey, guys, by the way, that's the dude. That's the one I, I, I've, been, I've been talking about. Right? And, of course, everyone was looking for a halo over his head and surprised not to find it. And, but two of them said, well, if that's the guy John's been talking about, what am I doing hanging out with John? He's a lesser than this guy. John told us himself, I'm going to go hang out with that guy. And so with John's buzzing, he goes hangs out with that guy. And, and one of those disciples is a guy named Andrew. Now, a couple of things to note here. First of all, Andrew is a disciple of John the Baptist, and he becomes the first disciple of Jesus. Because chronologically, this takes place before the scene of, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So this means Andrew, of the twelve disciples, is the first one. And his first uh, deed in following Jesus is then to go get Simon Peter. Now, as the first one... Um, Peter is known as, in, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, which we're not part of that, but um, think of uh, it's Catholicism only with Eastern 
culture. Uh, so the Russian church, there's a Greek Orthodox church in, in, in Lexington near, um, is it Emmanuel Baptist? Am I wrong on that? No, it's where the KVC, it's where I ran a 6K over, over yonder. There's like a Methodist church, it's like two big Baptist churches, and there's a Greek Orthodox church over. Uh, it's fascinating. I love the architecture, um, but it's, it's wherever it is over. Tate's Creek Rosette at the road. I kind of just impressed myself with that. Um, anyways, um, uh, but the Orthodox church referred to Andrew as the protoclete, which means the first called. So this has always been common knowledge that Andrew was the first disciple. But notice what Andrew does here is his whole purpose in this scene is to show that some of the disciples leave John to join Jesus, which shows um, uh, a bridge between the two. They are preaching the same gospel. Matthew does that through the actual preaching of the two men. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand is in Matthew 3 on John and then Matthew 4 of Jesus. The other reason is it sets the, the storyline for Andrew. Andrew, all he does in this story is he brings someone to Jesus. This is the pattern we're going to see with Andrew. The main thing he does in the Gospels is he quietly and privately brings people to Jesus. The first time he shows up in the story is, is with uh, Peter, bringing Peter to Jesus. Now, th think about how significant that is. We know Peter as, as the sort of Peter he is, right? He's the guy who's going to proclaim Christ at Caesarea Philippi. He's the guy that's going to uh, preach Christ at Pentecost. He's the guy that is going to be the inf most influential leader until Paul in the early church. And he was brought to Christ by his quiet, shy brother. And, and that just, just pause there and consider uh, that, that Andrew, the only thing he did was there's this guy you need to meet. And he brings him to him. That's it. It's all Andrew does here. In fact, it's not the only time Andrew does it. Turn to John chapter 6. We'll see this again. John chapter 6, we get the feeding of the 5,000. Now, this story is the um, only miracle other than resurrection recorded in all four Gospels. Uh, but John takes it another direction. In fact, I think this is John's sort of version, if you will, of the Lord's Supper. He doesn't have the Lord's Supper. He has the upper room scene. There, John emphasizes the washing of the disciples' feet. So, but the language of, of the Lord's Supper is here. Eat my body, drink my blood is right here in John 6. So there is a, a correlation between the manna story and the, um, of, of Exodus and, as well as the, the Passover and the Lord's Supper. I think we're meant to associate both of them with, with that story. Anyways, John 6, the first 15 verses. After this, Jesus teaches in, in, in John 5, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said to the rest to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, 200 denarii uh, worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. So, so he, he's going to talk to basically two disciples. The first is Philip. And what's Philip's response? Well, uh, look, we formed a committee. It's the Feed the uh, Large Crowd Committee. And we've determined it's not in the budget. Therefore, we cannot do it. Now, remember, these have to be Baptists because they came from John the Baptist. Uh, and, and so... Um, it's right there in your Bible. What are you going to do with it? 
Right? And if you're convicted, then, then you need to join a committee and do something about it. Right? Um, <laughs> um, it reminds me, we've got to vote on the nomination committee stuff pretty soon. <laughs> now, since we're talking about it, they've been working hard. And uh, they've been working really hard with COVID stuff. So, um, but, uh, so Philip, but then notice in verse um, 8, it turns to Andrew. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. That's got to get annoying, doesn't it? Um, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus says, have the people sit down. There was much grass in the place. You know the rest of the story. He breaks the bread. Now, again, this is in the context of Passover. Passover is a major theme in John's gospel. Jesus actually dies as the Passover lamb is dying. So you get, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world in chapter one. You get the Passover lambs being uh, being uh, uh, sacrificed while the Lamb of God is being sacrificed. The juxtaposition there. This is a theme throughout John's gospel. And here you see it here. So it isn't just manna. So Jesus comes down. He, he'll, he'll teach this when, when people complain about what he's doing. Uh, but it's also in the context of the Passover. That Jesus is going to, as the bread of life, give the people bread. But he's also the Lamb. All right. So it's the Lamb providing bread. It's, it's just beautiful imagery. But so, so we have Philip who says, we can't feed these people, right, unless we take up a special love offering, and it's still not going to happen. Andrew, what does Andrew do? Um, there's a boy here. I'll just bring him to Jesus. It's all Andrew does here. It's all he does. The only, point of the, of, 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 the only thing he does in the story is, yet again, he brings someone to Jesus. That's all he does. And by that simple act, what Jesus does with this little boy's lunch is what Jesus does with his brothers, uh, Peter. It's just amazing to see that. It's just a simple act of bringing someone to Jesus, trusting that Jesus, more than Andrew or Philip or Peter, can do with, with him. It's amazing, isn't it? Let's look at one more. John chapter 12. It's one of those scenes I think we, we overlook too much in John's gospel. John 12. Now, there's context here that if we had time, we would be worth looking at. John 11 is Lazarus. Right? John, John 12 opens up with uh, Mary being anointed uh, with, with the uh, expensive perfume. Um, and then verse 12 of, of chapter 12 is the triumphal entry. So, so, so the way John goes about some of this is, is very different. In the synoptics, we get the blind men, then we get the triumphal entry. We're, we're meant to see a connection there. John doesn't really do that. We're to see a connection between Lazarus, which sets up the resurrection, death and resurrection. Um, and that leads to the triumphal entry. Well, so Jesus enters. Now, in the synoptics, Jesus enters to the triumphal entry, and the first thing he does is he, uh, he does what we saw last night in the debate, right? He just causes a scene, right? And, and he, he interrupts the moderator with a whip, and he cleanses the temple, right? And, and it's, it's, a, it's a pretty just, just, just uh, scene that is quite striking. Um, but in John's gospel, we go from the, which the, the cleansing is actually in chapter two in John's gospel. In John's gospel, we get the triumphal entry, and then we get Gentiles being brought to Jesus, so starting in verse 20, now among those who went up to worship at the feast, that feast is Pentecost or uh, uh, Passover, 
See another emphasis. Jesus is arriving to celebrate Passover, which leads to his death. Uh, those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, Philip, I believe, is a Greek name. So it makes sense that Greeks would hear a Greek name and associate with him rather than hearing someone like um, John or Simon or James. Um, those are more Jewish names. So it makes sense they would go to a guy named Philip who has, who has a Greek name. Um, now, although most people at the Passover would have been ethnic Jews, there would have been Gentiles. These would have been, either been proselytes who um, had actually gone through all the parts of Judaism, including circumcision, or they would have been God-fearing uh, Greeks who would have done everything except for things like circumcision, maybe some of the dietary stuff like that. So they're one of those, but they've converted to Judaism, though Gentiles. They have access to the temple, but limited access to the temple. But in their pursuit of Judaism, they hear of Jesus. So they come to Philip. Now remember, Philip is the same guy we met at the uh, feet of the 5,000. And Philip's answer was, we've got to form a committee, and the committee came... And this won't function. All those in favor say aye, right? That's Philip's response. But notice what Philip does here. Philip went and told Andrew. Now, the question, the, the, what they want is to see Jesus. What they don't want is to see Andrew. Andy's the last person they want to talk to because Andy ain't Jesus. It's a shame Andy's not here today. We could have a lot of fun with him, right? He, uh, I, I knew he wasn't going to be here, he told me. Um, but uh, uh, they don't want to see Andy. They want to see Jesus. But Philip brings him to Andy. Notice what Andy does. Um, Andrew and Philip together um, and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, again, if we had time, it would be worth expanding this into verse 27, where the Father actually speaks, right? Where Jesus speaks of being lifted up is now the time where we're to be lifted up. Now, the reason this scene is important, Jesus is in the temple, anticipating the Passover. So you have the Lamb of God in the temple. So you have in Jesus one who is the true and better temple because, because they're being brought not to the temple for salvation, but to Christ for salvation. So Jesus is true and better temple. He's a true and better Lamb. Right? That's the whole point of the Passover stuff. Right? And what we see is Jesus is not the Savior of Jews. He's the Savior of the whole world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins, not of the Jewish people alone, but of the world. And John illustrates this by these Greeks being brought to Jesus by the means of Andrew. Again, the only thing Andrew does, he doesn't speak. He, all he does is Philip sends him a text and says, hey, I got some people here. I don't want to do when they want to see Jesus. And Andrew says, okay. He's a, he, he puts his phone in his pocket. And he uh, takes a selfie with the Greeks, hashtag uh, chilling with Jesus, and, and uh, brings them to Jesus. That's all Andrew does. 
And in this scene, we get an entire theology of how the gospel reaches the entire world. Because this letter or this gospel is not a gospel directed towards Jews. It's a gospel directed towards Gentiles, people like these Greeks. And who is it uh, that brings these Greeks to Jesus? It is, of course, Andrew. Once again, it is Andrew. Now, don't you love that metaphor, uh, the illustration Jesus uses, that, that you, until the grain dies, the seed dies, the tree won't grow, the plant won't grow? That is Jesus' illustration for what he does at the cross and resurrection. That the gospel and the kingdom of God won't bear the fruit. It won't really grow until the seed dies. He is that seed. He must die um, before the kingdom of God can really take off. I did a funeral several years ago. Actually, actually, I think it was Johnny's funeral. He was a farmer, and this was the illustration I used. Because, uh, of course, it's a farming illustration, but I, I think it's a really helpful way of illustrating the, the cross and, and the resurrection. Well, those are just three scenes of, of Andrew. Uh, there, there is a, another one that has to do with the end times, Mark 13. Andrew pulls Jesus aside and asks him privately a question about the end of the world. Uh, but what we need to see there, I, we, I don't want to take time to read it, but what we need to see there is that Andrew is a private person. He doesn't stand up and ask the question publicly. I'm the sort of person, I love asking questions publicly. Uh, some people like to stop afterwards, stop privately, right? Both are fine. Both are good. Um, and uh, Andrew is one who wants to pull Jesus to the side and get the one-on-one discipleship. Both are good. Uh, so let's look at his ministry and his death as well as, as his, his legacy. Um, now, Andrew fades from existence essentially after this story. Uh, he's not prominent at all. He's not really mentioned in Acts. Didn't show up in the epistles or Revelation, anything like that. So, so what we have to do is we have to pull from, from ancient tradition. And it's all over the map with him. And one resource has argued that they may all actually be connected. Uh, the main tradition is that he went to um, this area, particularly this area. I think that's the Black Sea, right? Does anyone know? Yes, it's Black Sea, right? Yeah, that's the Black Sea. Okay. It was a lot easier when I looked at the map that said, this is the Black Sea. Um, but he is associated with ministering in this area. Uh, there seems to either been two parts of his ministry in this area, um, or um, he ministered north of the Black Sea and sort of around the Black Sea. Um, so, uh, so this is why he is the patron saint of Russia. And it comes from the traditions that he is, he is here. Um, uh, and is probably the most prominent uh, thing. By the way, this area is mentioned in the Bible. Um, and you can see uh, Palestine down here. Um, it, it, it's not that... We've got some of the disciples supposedly go out in this area, Arabia, Egypt, up here. Some, you know, England and stuff over here. Some say they, they went out there. Paul went to Spain, which is over here. Uh, so it's not, not uh, unthinkable. I do believe there was a Jewish population there. I could be wrong on that. Um, I do know there's a prominent Jewish population in Babylon. Um, so uh, Apostle Peter went there. We talked about it then. But in Colossians 3, Paul mentions this area. Uh, here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all in all. Um, so uh, it does, there is biblical precedent, precedent that um, 
one of the disciples would would go go to to, to that area. Um, but again, the, the most prominent example of his ministry is right about here. But it isn't just that. Um, he is said to have died in the Greek city of Patras. Um, so I don't I don't think it's not on that map. The Greek Greece is this it? Right there. What's that? Yeah, okay, all right. It would help if I had the whole map to the left. I couldn't really find one that did both sides. It drives me crazy. Uh, so uh, he is said to have died in this area, which, again, is not, I mean, it's a long walk, right? But, uh, um, but even by, by those standards, it's not a, long, not a long distance. So it's very possible that both are true. Again, it's, it's, it's dependent on the reliability of some of these, these traditions. But according to tradition... Andrew was martyred by crucifixion in the Greek city of Patras around 60 or 69 AD. I've seen both. both. I think 69 is more prominent, uh, but there's some disagreement exactly when did he die. If it's 69, he dies after Peter and Paul and some of the others. If it's 60, it's, it's before. So he'd be one of the earliest ones to die. James, as we saw last week, was the first mentioned in, in Acts 12. So the story goes that Andrew in the city uh, converts the governor's wife to Christ, which is not unheard of. One, we, we, you get Pilate's wife, I believe it's in Luke or Matthew, uh, where, you know, Pilate's wife doesn't convert, um, but she's, she has iffy feelings about Jesus, so don't mess with him. Uh, Paul mentions uh, people being converted in Caesar's household and governor's household. Uh, one of the uh, Herods in Acts uh, tells Paul that if uh, if he keeps listening to Paul, he may convert. And so he stops listening to Paul, right? He, he hits mute on Paul. Um, and um, uh, so it's, it's not unheard of that something like this would, would happen. The problem is, is that the governor didn't like that his wife had converted to Christianity. Um, and so uh, he found out who led this woman to Christ and so had him executed. So in that context, he, he, it, it's almost like the story of John the Baptist, John the Baptist speaks to the governor, essentially the governor. He's king, he's governor. Um, and as a result, is, is arrested and eventually uh, executed. Now, um, the cross that Andrew was put on, we've talked about this before. Uh, according to tradition, um, um, here we go. Uh, actually, we get that. Uh, this is, uh, we've done some of these paintings by Caravaggio. Did I say his name right? Um, I like, I like these, these style, this style of paintings um, a lot. Uh, but you'll notice um, what kind of cross this is. It is this is called a uh, T cross. There's two types of crosses. There's a tau cross and a T cross. Tau is the Greek letter for our T. Uh, think of a capital T. That's the tau. Um, except the tau has a little loop thing on the end. Um, but you don't care. Um, so there's a capital T cross and there's a little T cross. I think Jesus died on the little T cross because he had the sign above his head. Typically, those on the Tau crosses have the sign around their necks. Uh, but Jesus is nailed above him. So that, that tells me it was uh, the T the cross. However, I don't know if he carried the entire cross up the hill or just the cross beam. I don't know. And really, I don't care all that much. It kind of not, not that big of a deal. Um, and Peter, you may remember, was crucified upside down according to tradition. Whether or not it's true, I don't know. Catholic Church makes a lot of things up, but we'll just go with it. Um, Andrew, however, you see in this painting, is on a T-cross. That is one tradition. 
This is the most prominent painting of Andrew. Uh, but the more prominent story of Andrew's death is that he died on an X cross. Um, so, uh, so this is quite a bit, bit different. Um, and the story goes, he hung on the cross for about two days and preached the entire time. Of course, this is a long tradition of Christian, uh, the, uh, persecuted Christians and Christian martyrs um, to, to preach. Uh, my favorite example is an ancestor of mine, I've shared it before, was in prison in Virginia for preaching without license. And uh, during his trial, instead of defending himself, he preached Christ. Uh, we have the quote. And then while in prison, he and his brothers, who, who had been arrested uh, as well, they all preached through the prison bars. They let them out of prison because too many people were getting converted while in prison. So they just let them out. And they eventually just got tired of dealing with the government and came to Kentucky. So there's a little bit of libertarianism in them, in them and uh, that just warms my, uh, my hard heart. Um, but uh, I actually want to read from a book called The Acts of Andrew. This is an apocryphal work. Um, it, it comes about 100, 200 years after the events. Probably not reliable, but it's still fun. Um, and the blessed Andrew, having thus spoken, standing upon the earth, looked earnestly upon the cross and bade the brethren that the executioner should come and do that which was commanded them, for they stood far off. Let me just pause there. In this, in this book, I've not read all of it. In this book, uh, he actually speaks to the cross and almost turns it into a relic, uh, almost prays to it. It's, 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 it's bizarre, but there's a lot of that in these pseudepigraphal works, and it's why they're not inspired. Right? So in the secret gospel of Mark, and you should research that book uh, for your own entertainment, the, uh, the part that Libs, who hate Jesus, uh, don't mention is that uh, the cross itself comes out of the tomb and ascends into heaven. They, they forget to mention that part. They love the parts about Jesus potentially kissing Mary Magdalene. That part is historical. But let's just pretend, you know, it's like that crazy uncle that may be running for president. We won't talk about them, but let's talk about this other stuff, you know. Um, so this stuff gets kind of weird, but, uh, but the question is which part of it carries some historical truth and what doesn't. It goes on, and they came and bound his hands and his feet and nailed them not. For such a charge had they from Aegidus, this is the governor that executed him, for you wish to afflict him by hanging him up, and that in the night he might be devoured alive by dogs. Um, uh, and they left him, I'm not going to read the parentheses, they left him hanging and departed from him. And when the multitudes that stood by of them that had been made disciples in Christ by him saw that they had done unto him none of the things accustomed with them that are crucified, they hoped to hear something again from him. For as he hung, he moved his head and smiled. Uh, and then he, he does some talking. Um, now, that reference to leaving them to the dogs, um, when we read the story of crucifixion of Jesus, it's very brief. I mean, three hours of agony is not brief. But in terms of the history of crucifixion, it is brief. Some people would have a place to sit on a cross or to stand on a cross. Um, and the reason was, was the, if you're hung there, gravity is pulling your, your, your body weight down and it's collapsing your lung and you can't breathe. So you have to pull yourself up on the nails or even the rope would be bad enough in your feet and wrists and you have to pull yourself up. Well, you can only do that for so long. And eventually you lose the energy to pull yourself up and you essentially dive, dive you suffocate, right? Uh, but if you put a seat or a step there, you, you have another means to pull yourself up, which prolongs the agony of crucifixion. 
crucifixion is 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 the the, the whippings and, and and the and the and everything else. And then if you are exposed to the uh, uh, Middle Eastern heat, that's bad enough. And then there is the issue of birds, vultures. You are literally dying. You are fresh meat to them. And we have plenty of, of accounts of that happening. That was part of the agony. So the reference that dogs, uh, these, these, these aren't um, Fido, your dog, um, that, that lives inside, uh, cute little rascal. These, these are what we may associate with wolves and coyotes. Um, and, and they will come and just add, add to the agony. So, so, and he is, he's suffering and dying for at least two days. Uh, pretty, pretty rough, rough way to, to go. Um, Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, which you've never read. Uh, if you have a strong stomach, read it. If you don't have a strong stomach, read, uh, read something else. <laughs> Just stick with your Reader's Digest. Um, but uh, uh, it's, it's a fascinating book. Basically, uh, Fox was a, John Fox was a 16th century uh, English preacher who didn't like Catholics. And so he, he gives the uh, history of martyrs, and essentially he says it's the Catholics who's killing everybody. Now, it's kind of ironic. He left out the part in the 16th century where Protestants were drowning Anabaptists in barrels, put holes in the barrels, threw them in the water. Catholics and Protestants did that. And let's not forget some of the atrocious things Protestants were doing to Catholics. But hey, Catholics killed a lot of people, y'all. And that is true. But it's a, it's a fascinating book. If, if you, I find the story of martyrs just encouraging to me because uh, I know I'm not quite where they are yet. Um, he, but he writes, he preached the gospel to many Asiatic nations. Uh, so that Greek area, Asia Minor. Uh, but on his arrival at Edessa, he was taken and crucified on a cross, the two ends of which were fixed transversely in the ground. Hence the derivation of the term St. Andrew's cross. Okay? So uh, it's the X. That is the cross of St. Andrew, one of my favorite Father and Frenzy songs. Um, and so he, the symbol of Andrew is the X. I can prove it to you that you see this all the time, even in non-Catholic places. You ready for this? You want to know what that is? Confederate stars and bars and other stars. You know, you mentioned that. I wonder where the X in the Confederate flag comes from. I'm guessing it's we don't like you. X marks the spot. I don't know. But this is the Scottish flag. Right. So I'm Scott-Irish, you know, and not just because I identify that way, um, uh, but because Ancestry.com told me. Um, and there, the X in this flag is St. Andrew's Cross. This is fascinating. I didn't know this. Right? Story goes that um, a monk, uh, I'll make sure I, I get his name right, uh, named St. Regulus, probably still didn't get his name right, um, he... Uh, he came. He 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 had possession of Andrew's bones. This is fourth or fifth century. Uh, he probably didn't actually have his bones, but I'm not Catholic, so what do I know? And so, through a series of bizarre events, he 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 takes them to Scotland and he buries them. Now, I tried to find, like, can you still go and look at the bones of of Andrew? And I couldn't find it. But there is Saint Andrew's Cathedral, and I assume. That is where he supposedly buried the bones. I don't know. Um, but this is where uh, the this Scottish flag comes from. 
So not only is Andrew the patron saint of Russia because of his latter ministry, he's also the patron saint of Scotland. There's a weird uh, history, you know, they won battles because they saw St. Andrew's cross or they saw St. Andrew the king did and stuff like that. But this is part of the story of why Scotland's flag has a big X on it. That and they don't like England. I'm guessing that's part of it too. I don't know. Um, you remember they actually voted a few years ago to secede from England, uh, United Kingdom. And uh, they were in a panic. The prime minister was in a panic, as well as the queen, because all of United Kingdom's n- nuclear weapons are in Scotland, right? They're like, we don't want to have to move those, right? <laughs> we, we're going to move those to Liverpool, right? Those people, or Sunderland, those people are, are weird. Um, so, I mean, it was a close, close election from what I remember. You have to look that up. It was, uh, that was all before Brexit. Um, by the way, would you like to maybe see the skull of St. Andrew? That's why you came, isn't it? Right? It's in that little whatever that is. That's descriptive. <laughs> I'm not Catholic. I don't know what it is. Okay, so the story goes, 1971, Pope Paul VI, I guess was minding his own business, and he thought, you know what? We need to really give a gift to the Greeks. They've had a rough go these last 2,000 years. So I think what I'm going to do, I'm going to send them a skull. I'm going to send them Andrew's skull. So... This is a Greek church uh, near where, uh, it may be the, the spot, supposedly, where Andrew was executed. Um, and supposedly the skull was in Rome, and they sent it to, you can still go there. That's it, right there. It's in that little thing, thingamajig, whatchamacallit. So if you're ever in Greece, you go see a skull. Now, something tells me Andrew is not only buried in Scotland, but his head is in Greece. His fingers and toes are probably in you know, Russia somewhere. I don't know. You, you remember the joke with, with all these relics is uh, 16 of the 12 apostles are buried in Germany. That was Luther's quote. So something tells me that is not Andrew's skull. But hey, you learned something today. I want to make just two brief points about Andrew, then, then, then we'll be done. Uh, the first is God uses both foreground and background figures to do great things. I think this is something that's really encouraging to me. Um, uh, Peter is, as we said, very foreground. He wants to be in the spotlight. Um, Andrew is very background. Uh, he, he shies from the spotlight. God uses both people. Uh, there's a great uh, scene in the West Wing where uh, the, um, the, it's not the assistant chief of staff, or assistant to the chief of staff. What is, uh, whatever he is, uh, he does something the president doesn't like, and the president talks to him privately. He says, "There's two types of people in the world. There's people who want to be the man. There's people who want to be the man. The man depends on." And his point was, the president always wanted to be the man, but this guy is in politics because he wants to be the man that the man depends on. I've always remembered that. I love that. Uh, I think it's a bit limited, but but I think it's a helpful way of seeing things. Peter wants to be the man. Peter wants the one where buildings are named after him. Andrew is the man that the man depends on. And God uses both people. He really does. So, so that's one of my frustrations about a lot of debates we have with the Bible. Take, for example, issues of gender. Uh, can women do this or that? To give you one example. Uh, or can deacons do this or that? You know, this, this is part of the responsibility. And what we often do is we assume that unless you have the public position, you're not as being used as effectively by God. That is not a biblical reality. Reality is that many who stay in the background are as influential as those who are in front of everyone else. 
Um, and, and Andrew really illustrates that for us. The second thing I want us to see, um, oh, in this, I want to read from John MacArthur. Of all the disciples in the inner circle, that, that, that first four, Andrew appears the least contentious and the most thoughtful, certainly isn't his brother. As we know already, Peter tended to be uh, impetuous, to rush ahead foolishly and to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Remember, they're teenagers. He was often brash, clumsy, hasty, and impulsive. James and John were nicknamed sons of thunder, uh, and not because of their biceps, because of their reckless tendencies. They were, I think that was funny. Thank you, Brody. Uh, they were also evidently the ones who provoked many of the arguments about who was the greatest. But there's never a hint of that with Andrew. Whenever he speaks, which is rare in Scripture, he always says the right thing, not the wrong thing. Whenever he acts apart from the other disciples, he does what is right. Scripture never attaches any dishonor to Andrew's actions when it mentions him by name. Then he adds this in the next paragraph. He was an effective leader, even though he never took the spotlight. That's a great summary of this. I love that. Johnny Mac gets it right. Um, so in the Reformation, you have... You have prominent figures like John Knox and Martin Luther and John Calvin and Ulrich Zwingli and, and William Tyndale and, and all of them. But you also have these figures that made their lives function. Philip Melanchthon, and I would add uh, Katie Von Boren, his wife for Luther. Uh, my ancestor, John Craig, wrote the Confessions and, and uh, picked up a lot of John Knox's mess because um, Knox made a lot of messes. And then you can look at others um, that we need those foreground characters and we need the background characters one last thing evangelism is as simple as bringing people to jesus this is the big lesson i think we get from andrew um, evangelism is not complicated bring people to jesus you don't save anyone you don't fix anyone's problems jesus does all of that for you andrew brings peter to jesus and peter shapes the early church he brings a little boy to jesus and thousands are fed he brings Greeks to Jesus, and the Gentiles receive the gospel. All he did was bring people to Jesus. Don't overcomplicate evangelism. Just bring people to Jesus. I think what we're going to do next year, we'll talk about this more in December, is we're going to do the, um, um, oh, the term just left me. It's the J.D. Greer, just one person. Oh, gosh, Keith, help me out here. I had it five seconds ago. Who's your one? Thanks for nothing. Um, I think we'll do who's your one campaign. Um, and the, the idea is simple. Who is one person uh, that God has put in your life who needs Jesus that you can use and reach? Uh, we've done who's your five, um, but I think we'll simplify it next year and do who's your one. And our, our model here would be Andrew. Okay. All right, anything you guys have with uh, your boy Andy um, or even your go governor? Fascinating stuff, I think. Uh, okay. Well, speaking of Andy, uh, we still can't touch each other. Otherwise, we'll get cuties. So uh, how about we just stand up and we'll, we'll pray and be dismissed.